And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the second best day of the week. That's right, it's Thursday as we get ready to close out this holiday short and trading week. Uh, so again, Monday a holiday, so really everything kind of crammed into four days here. More economic data coming out uh, today as well as earnings still kind of, you know, got a few little stragglers coming in today. Um, in terms of earnings. So again, we are wrapping earnings season up for the most part, but don't worry because the end of the quarter is up on us and we'll be starting earnings season all over again before you know it. This is just the way, way the markets work. So as soon as you get it over with, we're, we're back at it. A um, couple of things we'll get in today, talking about interest rates and bonds. Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning, also talking about the upcoming Fed meeting um, will they, won't they? That's the, that's the big question. Will they hike rates? Will they, will they not hike rates? Or is the Fed done? And you know, when, you come, when it comes to talking about bonds in particular, what the Fed is doing has a big, a big impact on bonds. And so you know, this is what this happens at this next meeting and what kind of you know, the economic data is telling us is certainly going to you know, kind of weigh on you know, kind of the future for what is going to happen economically. But uh, we'll get into all that this morning with Michael Leibowitz. Um, outside of that, it's been very, you know, pretty much quite a hard and interesting rumor. And, and basically, you know, Brent, who's been involved in the media for, you know, 900 years, you know, it was him and Methuselah doing the first newscast when it, when it occurred. Um, I heard that when the traffic people talk about parking at airports, that means there's absolutely no traffic problems going on, right? There's nothing to report traffic-wise. Is that true? Theoretically. Huh? Theoretically. Theoretically. Yeah. So they're just talking about how full the lots are. Right, because yeah. there's no other traffic to talk about, right? There's no other traffic jams or anything. Oh, it's filler. It's filler. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yes. they, they use because who cares about parking at the at the airport, right? <laughs> Nobody really. I know I live for that. <laughs> exactly. Every morning. How full is the parking lot at Bush International? It's forty three percent full. Oh my gosh. Who I'm not going to the airport. Who cares? <laughs> so I just want to get to work on time. But that's really kind of where we are right now. There's there's not a lot going on in the markets. The markets have had a little bit of a pullback over the last couple of days. But really, no big news of any consequence. Uh, ISM uh, services index a little bit stronger than expected. We talked about that recently that, you know, a lot of this economic data has been so weak for so long that you're going to see a bit of a bounce in some of these economic indicators. And we're seeing that. And of course, that's also supporting uh, the Atlanta Fed GDP now, which is, you know, uh, you know, kind of posting up here an over 5% growth, almost 6% growth rate for the economy in the second quarter. But is this, you know, an economic recovery? Are we moving back into an economic recovery mode of the economy? Or is this just a bounce in the data that, you know, still weakens as we get further into next year as the lag effect of all these rate hikes from the Federal Reserve continue to, to take root? See, I mean, there's, there's so many things that we can speculate on and, and, and kind of prognosticate on, but really there's just not a lot happening right now. So we can talk about parking at the airport. <laughs> so, because that's all there is. No, there's actually a lot of stuff going on. Just not a lot news-wise this week. It's been pretty, pretty tiring. Uh, you know, really kind of the big news this week, more than anything else, has just been uh, kind of the rise in oil prices because as we've been talking, uh, you know, kind of about the economy and inflation and, and this type of stuff, we've seen kind of a pickup here 
in oil prices as of late. And of course, this has gotten the media's attention because of this rise just over the last few days. Kind of the big news was uh, the extension of the OPEC and Russia oil, oil production cuts. But again, this rise here really is, is nothing that's not been part of the rise that actually started back in June. Uh, oil prices bottomed back in June. They've been in a steady climb ever since June, and all of a sudden it just now kind of got media attention this week. But again, this isn't really news. Uh, the, the oil prices itself are still well contained within, the, within a long-term kind of range that they've been in. In fact, they're really pretty much in the same level that they were back in July of last year. So we've really gone nowhere in terms of oil prices in, in the course of a year. So, you know, kind of all this hand-wringing and angst over the recent rise in oil prices really doesn't mean a whole lot. Again, it's not really news, but again, we needed filler for the media, so <laughs> they can't report on, on parking at airports, so we reported on oil prices moving up here slightly. Um, so anyway, here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Um, market sold off a bit yesterday, and again, we talked about uh, a couple of uh, a couple of days ago that the market's been on has had a very nice rise here as of late, and you know we came off this uh, kind of the sell off that we had back in in August, had about that five percent decline that we've been talking about, had this rally. Market's got a little bit overbought here short term, and we spoke about that. We're still on a buy signal here, so again, a bit of a pullback here to support, and we're we're kind of flirting with that right now. Yesterday touched the 20-day moving average, closed right at the 50. This morning, markets are set to open a little bit weaker this morning. We'll see uh, whether or not that weakness kind of stays all day or not. But again, we're still kind of working through this kind of pullback here. We've got support that kind of runs all the way back here uh, to uh, really the, the middle of June. Uh, in particular where we're going to have this intersection uh, of where the market is trading. So again, a good bit of support where we are right now. But again, this kind of you know, oversold reflexive bounce that we've been talking about, we've had that here uh, again. So you know, there's nothing wrong with the market. Technically, uh, markets continue to kind of operate in this rising kind of bullish trend line ever since the lows uh, from a couple of months ago. So again, nothing really to worry about here. The markets are going to give us a pullback. As we talked about before, it's just, you know, that's just kind of part of the ebb and flow of the markets. Again, you know, when you listen to the media, it's like, oh, third negative day, you know, it's terrible. We're back in a bear market. No, it's just a function of the markets. And so just don't get overly excited about this. Again, if you've been looking for an opportunity to add some exposure to portfolios. Markets giving you an opportunity. Yesterday, Apple uh, down fairly sharply uh, because of news coming out of China that uh, they're going to restrict their officials, government officials, from buying, uh, buying and using iPhones. But again, this is just kind of one of those situations where potentially you get a little bit of an opportunity to add to exposure you know, in a company maybe that you've been looking for. And again, you can kind of see this yesterday. Apple had a fairly sharp correction. Again, because it's one of the largest stocks in the overall index, not surprising it drugged the index lower, but it also sitting here nicely on support right at the 100-day moving average. So, so again, on a buy signal, was overbought, need a little bit of a correction here. That happened yesterday. So, I mean, you know, again, so the point here is simply look at, at market corrections when you're in a bullish trend as an opportunity to, to add exposure as needed. If you're in a bearish trend, then you use rallies to reduce exposure. And, and again, that's just kind of the way the markets work. So nothing really much to worry about here. But that is what you need to know before the bell this morning. So when we come back, you know, from the break, I want to get, you know, particularly into talking about 
some some things that we've done in our own portfolios over the last uh, uh, last couple of days and really something we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks because this does have a lot to do with what is going on currently with interest rates and, and what's been happening with interest rates as of late. Again, lots of concern, not a lot of media hype uh, lately over this kind of uptick in rates. Again, rates really pretty much haven't gone anywhere over the last you know uh, few weeks. But again, this recent uptick got everybody kind of off guard. Again, media needed something here to talk about. But again, this run in rates is starting to get back to overbought levels. We're still pretty much within this range that we've been in for the last you know, several weeks while markets have been just kind of processing here. But again, when we take a look at where we are currently in terms of rates and look back over a period of time, we're still just within the same trading range that we've been in really ever since the peak in rates back in September. So again, just kind of the cycle of, of interest rates and inflation and inflationary concerns and positioning in, in markets. We'll talk about what that means and why we were starting to take some actions in our bond portfolios as well. So when we come back from the break, we'll get into all of that and a whole lot more with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Roseland Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me as well. So lots of stuff to talk about. We've got the Fed meeting coming up uh, next week, I believe. And, um, you know, this is kind of the moment following the Jackson Hole Summit. And uh, again, we can go back through history. And, you know, uh, during these Jackson Hole Summit meetings, the, you know, the, the Fed chairman, whether it was Ben Bernanke or uh, Janet Yellen or, again, Jerome Powell, you know, kind of make these statements and, and, you know, kind of these outlooks. And, of course, we have to wait until the next meeting for the action to actually kind of manifest itself. And so at the last Jackson Hole Summit, um, you know, Powell was pretty clear at this point that they're remaining data dependent at this at this moment, um, that further rate hikes certainly weren't off the table. But there's also not really any talk right now of cutting rates either. Um, and it's all based on kind of what's happening economically. Um, we wrote a piece on this uh, last Friday, by the way, um, talking about, you know, Jerome Powell at, at his Jackson Hole Summit meeting, basically kind of obfuscating the truth on the cause of inflation, which is basically they were the primary culprit of it, uh, along with the government. Um, but that aside, uh, coming up next week, you know, will the Fed hike rates, won't they? And what does that mean, you know, kind of for the future here and, and what markets kind of keep hoping for? And we kind of go, you know, as we drift from kind of one meeting to the next, is this the meeting? Is this the meeting that the Fed's going to stop hiking rates? And again, we, then we, if they don't, then we just kind of drift to the next meeting, hoping for the same thing. And this has been a good support for the markets, really, kind of ever since last October has been this hope of rate cuts. Um, so, Mike, what, what's your what's your thinking at the next meeting here? You know, will they? Won't they? Will they actually make some comments that maybe they're done hiking rates here, given some of the recent economic data? What do you think? I think it's a lot more the same. The meeting is actually on the twentieth, so. Next week, we'll get CPI and retail sales and PPI. So that'll give the Fed one more look at inflation. And right now, those numbers are expected, CPI is expected to rise about two-tenths of a percent. 
Which it's funny, you know, when you when you listen to the media go on Twitter, there's a big concern that inflation is rising. And most of those concerns are on the people looking at it year over year. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at the last 12 months, taking an average and seeing what inflation did. Um, but if you look at if we if it rises two tenths of a percent and you annualize that, that's 2.4% inflation. Right. So when, when you look at more recent rates of inflation, it's much closer to two than the three to three and a half percent that the market's worried about. Um, so I, the, the Fed funds market thinks the Fed is gonna do nothing at the September 20th meeting. Mm -hmm. And then I think the next one is very early November, November 1st or 2nd. Right, right now the market is roughly 50-50 that the Fed will hike rates then. But, you know, we're going to have the CPI number next week and then a whole round of new data in uh, October. So I don't think the Fed does anything at this meeting. And to be honest, I think the Fed may be done. Obviously, I don't have, you know, you know, I can't see that data that's coming up. But we are starting to see more and more signs that the economy is slowing. Now, not slowing to a recession, but just normalizing. Right. And normalizing sounds good but normal for this economy lance is one and a half to two percent growth and, and that's where things get a little uh i think a lot of people forget that we've been living in this anomaly now in this kind of pandemic fiscal stimulus uh anomaly for the last few years and when we get back down to one and a half or two percent growth it's going to feel like a recession mm -hmm. we've been running three four five percent growth you know, three to, you know, inflation's been up to, you know, much higher than that, but kind of settling in at three, four percent. So the economy is slowing. It's showing signs of slowing. The lag effect is working. And I firmly believe that given what the Fed has done to rates and given what the market has done with long term rates, with mortgage rates, with auto rates, with corporate refinance rates, we are going to be in a recession. But again, the question is when? And it could be a while. Um, we know that from when the Fed pauses to a recession over the last four or five of those incidents going, you know, going back 40 years, that it can take anywhere from six months to almost two years. If, in fact, the Fed did their last rate hike, it was July. Right. So it's not uncommon for, you know, the economy to just slowly cool down before a recession. And then you factor in there's a lot more debt right now than there was during all those instances. And the increase in rates was more significant than all of those incidents. So, uh, you know, I, I continue to think a recession's coming, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's coming anytime Tomorrow. within the next, yeah. within, you know, <laughs> next six months. Well, yeah, and that's, and that's always the case. And then if it doesn't happen, right, you know, and, and this was, you know, what we saw in 2022, everybody was like, oh, recession's coming, recession's coming. And then when it didn't come, everybody goes, okay, well, this time is different. It's not going to happen. Um, and, so, and so the the problem with the markets is always, that, and it's kind of like, you know, talking about valuations, right? You know, they say valuations are high, which means stock returns are low. Well, then if you don't have a market crash immediately, everybody goes, well, valuations don't matter. Um, it, you know, things just don't work like that. And as we've talked about before, we were running nearly 12% growth um, in 2022, uh, in terms of, uh, sorry, 2021, in terms of GDP, because of all that money that we sent in on a nominal basis. And so you've got to reverse all of that stimulus and all that growth 
And to go from a very high level of economic growth to zero to negative, it's going to take time, right? I mean, th that's just not going to happen overnight unless you shut down the economy again, which, you know, we're not going to do. So, again, to your point, it's just going to take us a while to get towards that recessionary territory. And, again, it probably won't be until sometime in mid to late 24, maybe even early 25 before we get there. But it doesn't mean that it's, you know, we've avoided or averted a recession entirely. And again, you know, we've we've had a big drawdown in some of this economic data, as I said, you know, earlier. Um, and we wrote, wrote an article about this a couple of weeks ago that market cycles like everything else. And so when you have an extended period of, of you know, a slowdown in economic activity, you're going to get a bounce before it slows down again. It's just you got to go through these restocking cycles within the economy. I mean, I can I cannot purchase certain things for a while, right? And the economy will slow down. But eventually I've got to restock whatever it is, whether I'm a producer or a consumer, there's something I'm going to have to buy to restock just to go for a while. So you're going to get these little ebbs and flows of economic activity, you know, as you're heading towards that recessionary outcome. And again, then that that but that those little bounces in economic activity delays that eventual onset a little bit further. So you know, that's just the way the economy works. And again, the, the way the media works is if it doesn't happen immediately, then, you know, we have to immediately assume that this time is different. It just usually isn't. <laughs> it just takes right. a while for you. It just takes time for the car to get to the destination. And, and I think it's important to remember that consumers, corporations, even the government were very smart in the, you know, the prior few years before rates started going up. Corporations borrowed a lot of money. A lot of consume, a lot of homeowners refinanced. So, a lot of corporations are sitting. You know, corporations are a great example. They borrowed a lot of money at you know, two three percent. Right now, their borrowing rates are you know probably north of five percent. Mm -hmm. So, they front ran their borrowing needs with very cheap money. And they're right now, if they didn't use that money, it's sitting in cash earning, you know, five plus percent. So they're benefiting from higher rates for now. But every day that goes by, there's more of that debt, which was probably two, three, five year debt is maturing and gets rolled over. And by rollover, that basically means that two percent bond Apple issued. That was a three year bond in 2021 in 2024 has to be reissued and it's going to be five to six percent. When, you know, car loans, every time someone needs to new buy a new car, all of a sudden they're paying seven, eight, nine percent on a car loan, which, you know, they used to be free or, or you know, everyone would have their <laughs> their almost free financing. Right. Uh, to, you know, incentivize car sales. So I think because whether they knew it or not, consumers, corporations, and, and the, the government too acted smartly. Mm -hmm. The time it takes for these higher rates to hit the economy is going to be longer. And that's good, but it's also bad because I think it's really hard for the Fed to appreciate or quantify how hard the hit's going to be because you just can't see it. You don't right. see it in the numbers. So they keep talking about raising rates. They talk about higher for longer. And they're doing damage, but you can't see it yet. Right. Um, so I, I think it's a really tricky situation that the economy's in, that the Fed's in. And, you know, I certainly don't envy Jerome Powell's seat 
because I think he's dealing with an unknown. And right. it's it's almost like a hurricane 100 years ago. Very hard to track and understand what it's going to do. Yeah, true. And, you know, and, and this, this kind of goes back to, you know, interest rates as a function of, you know, what's been going on and, you know, lots of concerns in the bond market over the course of the last, you know, a few days in particular, you know, energy prices have been rising after the, you know, kind of Russia, uh, OPEC, uh, production cut extension and everybody immediately says okay energy prices are going up so that's going to be a big impact to inflation and that means the fed's going to, have to hike rates more but again when you take a look at how cpi is calculated besides the fact that we've measured on a year-over-year basis energy makes up a very very small component of the overall inflation calculation housing by far um, and everything related to housing by far is a much bigger component and, and driver of what happens with inflation, including transportation, including uh, food and beverages. But again, importantly, when we talk about CPI, what's the two things we strip out? Food and energy to get down to core and core is what the Fed pays attention to. So again, at the end of the day, you know, we'll see how this all impacts interest rates. When we come back, we'll, we will. We'll talk about interest rates. And more importantly, we're going to talk about, you know, what we did with our bond portfolio yesterday because um, we made a big we made a very big change to our bond portfolio yesterday based on our outlook for where rates are now and where they're likely going to be. And we'll talk about all of that coming up right after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so one of the big concerns over the last year or so has been rising interest rates and of course uh bond prices, et cetera, and, and you know, big concerns about, oh, inflation's going up, so now uh, interest rates are just going to keep going up forever. We're, you know, we're moving back into this new phase of, of the economy like we saw in the 70s, and there's just massive differences between where we are today and where we are back in the 70s. A, like, as Michael, Michael Lee Woods addressed earlier, debt as a function of the economy was very low back in the 60s and 70s. Economic growth was running on average at 8%. Savings rates were very high for households. We were we were 80% manufacturing, 20% services, which had a very high multiplier rate in the economy. Vast differences with what was happening with interest rates in the economy back in the in the 60s and 70s versus where we are today, where we have massive amounts of debt, deficits, very low production quality, and of course, you know, an economy that's 70 almost 80% services and 20% manufacturing, which uh, leads to lower wage growth and, and and weaker economic statistics over time. Again, this is why we talk about growth rates running between one and a half and two percent going forward. Even the Fed's own forward prediction for long-term economic growth rates is one point eight percent right now. So again, not great. That's not great. But importantly, you know, when we look back, you know, bonds have been under a lot of pressure over the course of the last year and a half. 
And when we look back in history, and Bank of America did this really great chart just recently, going back to 1787, there has never been a period where you had a negative return on bonds for three years in a row. And the reason for that is, is that interest rates impact economic growth. The higher the interest rates are, then the more drag you're going to have on the overall economy when the economy slows. And as we've discussed here on the show many, many times, there's a very high correlation, an obvious correlation between interest rates, inflation, and economic growth. You can't have high interest rates and low economic growth. You can't have high interest rates and low inflation. And the reason is, is that the bond market is pricing for those things. The yield that is reflected on bonds is what is driven by their outlook for economic growth, inflation, opportunity costs, all those type of things. That's what that's what the lender is factoring into the rate that he charges. It's also based on what he can actually loan money at, what willing people are willing to pay for that debt. So again, this is why we look back over time whenever you have high interest rates in a period of, of, of the Fed aggressively hiking interest rates, what do you have every time following those episodes? A recession, lower economic growth, lower inflation, lower interest rates. And so this is the reason that Mike and I have been talking about a lot lately, and, and we've we wrote about it last weekend's newsletter. We talked about it on our, our podcast that we've been analyzing our bond portfolio very deeply and looking to make a bond swap. And so yesterday, we actually did that bond swap. We swapped our holdings in TLT, which is the 20-year uh, iShares Treasury Bond ETF, into an actual 20-year Treasury. And there were some reasons for doing that, and we'll, we'll get into all those this morning. But before we get into that, Mike, uh, any comments you want to make? No, I, I, you know, I look at this situation and I kind of salivate. You're picking up such, you know, our, our yield on that swap trade that you were talking about is over four and a half percent. And this is a 20 year bond. So we're not looking at the next three months or six months. We're looking at 20 years. And when you look at 20 years, you're looking at long term economic growth rates, at productivity rates, at demographics. They all point downward. The Fed tells us they're downward. They're not, there's nothing to hide. We know, you know, with relative certainty, barring something major that's going to change the way our economy runs, that the growth rate will be over those 20 years, probably below one and a half percent on average. And to pick up, you know, three percent on that rate is not a once in a lifetime, but it, those opportunities don't come around. Right. And, you know, go back from the financial crisis to the pandemic, you were lucky to get a positive rate, a positive uh, bond yield over the rate of economic growth or inflation. Now you're getting paid 3% and everyone's running scared. <laughs> but, that's, but that's usually the case, right, Mike? I mean, you know, you know, when stocks are going through a major market meltdown, nobody wants to buy stocks because they assume that the bond, the stock market is going to zero. We'll go back to 2008 is a good example of that. In 2008, stocks are declining and everybody's predicting that the stock market's going to zero. And so nobody wanted to buy stocks at the bottom of the market. But that was the opportunity 
to buy something. And again, here we are once again, the, the vast majority of the mainstream media coming up with every reason why interest rates can only go higher from here. But there's simply an economic connection to interest rates that suggests that is not going to be the case. And history says that. Now, I want to make one thing very clear, though. Um, Mike just said that, you know, we're looking for the next 20 years out. And, and there's a couple of points that he's making here. It's very crucially important. The first is, is that I can't tell you how many people come along every day and say, boy, if I could just get 5% on my money, I'd just lock it up and go home for the day. Well, here you are, 4.5% on your money. That's pretty close to 5 It's within spitting distance. And so here's an opportunity to get 4.5% on your money for the next 20 years with an absolute guarantee of repayment of your money. No, no principal risk whatsoever. This is termed a risk-free investment because it's a government bond. The second thing is we have no intention of holding it for 20 years. <laughs> so when we go through the next market decline, when interest rates do fall and interest rates come in line with long-term economic growth projections, then the price of this treasury will have appreciated to the point that we will have maximized the capital appreciation out of this bond and we'll be able to sell that for a capital gain. And at that point, most likely, this will be the point where nobody wants to buy equities again because we'll have gone through a recession and an equity downturn and markets are down substantially. The mainstream media will be wringing their hands about why the stock market is only going to go lower from here. But when we reach that low point on interest rates and inflation has declined and economic growth is in a recession, that's when we'll want to sell this treasury. We'll have maximized the price appreciation. And then we'll want to be buying equities cheap because valuations will now justify owning equities over fixed income. Mike, fair statement? Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah I'd be shocked if we own this thing for more than three or four years. You know, likely at some point we are going to have the recession I think we're going to have. Stock prices will go lower. Bond prices will go much higher. Bond yields will go back to where they go during recessions, which... You know, we, there was a 10-year bond at half a percent not that long ago. Yeah. So, you know, yields fall and we work out of the bonds and back into stocks and take advantage of lower stock prices and, you know, the capital appreciation on the bonds themselves. So and there's a, there's also a couple of other reasons why we elected. So we could have done a couple of things. And we, we had talked about some different ideas on the show, and we'd written about some different ideas in the newsletters and as well as our weekly blogs. And we've been covering this topic a lot over the last really month or so, talking about bonds and interest rates. And I've got another article coming out on it next week as well. But the, the point is, is that we did a lot of evaluation. We talked about potentially swapping one ETF for another and maybe extending out duration and, and buying a, a different ETF that had a little bit more duration to it. One of the, there were kind of three reasons, ultimately, that we settled on just swapping it for an individual bond. One was, obviously, that as opposed to an ETF, when you buy an individual bond, if something goes horribly wrong, and let's say that Mike and I are entirely wrong, we're about to enter into the greatest growth dynamic of, of the economy that we have ever seen. Socialism works. And, you know, we have we have the capitalist experiment dies and we just blast off into a, a world of prosperity never before seen on the planet Earth. And interest rates rise because of that economic prosperity. Well, in 20 years, we will get paid back all of our principal, right? No matter what happens to interest rates, there's a guaranteed repayment of principal that you don't have in an ETF. The second reason is that we reduced expenses to the portfolio. The, the bond carries 
no expense ratio. So the you know ETFs, they have an expense ratio, they have an operating cost, et cetera. So we've now eliminated that part out of the bond portfolio as well, reduced expenses to the overall portfolio. And then lastly, of course, we have a guaranteed set of income coming in now. So the income paid by the bond will cut feed directly into our client accounts. Now, uh, one, one disclaimer here. Um, in our SimpleVisor portfolios that we run, we had to do, we did the ETF swap. We went from TLT to EDV, which is the Vanguard long duration bond. The reason that we did not do an individual bond in SimpleVisor is because we don't have a way to track the daily prices of terms of a data feed in SimpleVisor. So perform, for performance reporting purposes inside of SimpleVisor, we had to use the, the ETF. So again, you won't see it in SimpleVisor, but in our client accounts and, and our managed accounts that we run, um, we did this swap from TLT to um, an individual 20-year treasury bond. So we also added about 25 basis points, a quarter of a percent of yield versus TLT. And that's because there's somewhat of a unique opportunity. When you look at the yields of the 20-year bond versus the 10-year bond and the 30-year bond, you pick up 30 30 basis points over the 10-year and 20 over the 30-year. So not only do we pick up extra yield because there's kind of a sweet spot on the curve right now at the 20-year point, but we also eliminate the expenses. So, so you know, we're picking up, I think it's more than 25 basis points in additional yield on top. And, you know, like I said, we got over 4.5%. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> exactly. All right. Come back from the break and uh, pick up with Michael Lee Woods and we'll close out the segment, don't, uh, the, the show this morning. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. Just getting ready to wrap things up with Michael Leibowitz, as always. Be sure and get by the website. His latest article is out on the website yesterday. And, in fact, we're going to talk a, a little bit about this because, again, you know, we we write a lot of our – it's always kind of fascinating, you know, always hear from people. It's like, well, what's your thoughts on this? It's like, well, we just wrote an article on this like a week ago. <laughs> so if you go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, it's just a ton of information. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter talking about the link between oil prices and the economy this weekend. So if you want to know about all, it's always full of, the newsletter is full of charts and graphs and stock market analysis and stock screens and just a whole variety of stuff to help you manage your own portfolio better. Produce three blogs a week on the website, absolutely free. Our daily market commentary, there's just so much information there for you to consume. Um, and it's all free. So why not take advantage of it? Realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, but, you know, we, we were talking about in the last segment about the bond swap that we made. And, you know, I made this comment about risk-free debt. And 
when you talk about government bonds, right, it, it is it is the de facto presumption that it is a risk-free investment. In fact, it's the only risk-free investment in the world because it's a it's basically a guaranteed repayment by the government. So the government can print money to repay the debt. So the markets consider the ten, the treasury bonds of of all of all makes, right? If it's issued by the U.S. Treasury, it's considered a risk-free investment. So when we talk about the risk-free rate of return, what's the risk-free rate of return? Well, that's based on the U.S. Treasury because there's there's assumption that there's no risk. It will always be repaid. Corporate bonds, you have the threat of default, non-payment. Municipal bonds, threat of default, the payment. Uh, stocks, no guarantee that stock prices only go up. So, you know, even if people think that. Um, but the question really comes down, is it really a risk-free government issue? And Mike wrote an article on this, and and you know I thought it was quite interesting. And this is, is on our website now, on our blog page. So simply just go to realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the Insights tab. You'll find our blog there. Um, but Mike, you, you wrote this article asking the question: Is it is it really risk free? What was your takeaway? So, yeah. So technically, yes, it's risk free. The government, the Fed, will print money to ensure that every dime that you get in interest and in principle get, will go to you. <clears throat> so, you know, when people say, is it risk-free or not risk-free? The answer is yes, it's risk-free. But there's an under, there's another risk that so few people talk about, and it's the real risk. It's the risk to our prosperity, mm -hmm. that in order to sustain such high debt levels, the Fed, over periods of time, not necessarily every moment, but over periods of time, must ensure, and I, I use the word must, not try to, but must ensure that interest rates are very low. That's the only, it's, it is a Ponzi scheme. The U.S. government is a Ponzi scheme. It borrows more every year than it takes in. That's not sustainable unless you keep interest rates extremely low. And it's amazing that over the last few years, the interest expense for the U.S. government has risen more than it did in the 50 years prior. That, that's a crazy statistic when you think about it. And what it tells you is that what's going on today with high interest rates is not sustainable. There's still a whole lot of debt that is on the government's books that's below market rate. So every day that goes on, there's a new bond that's maturing. And, you know, some of those bonds may be five or six percent and the government may actually benefit when it refinances. But a lot of them are well below current levels. And every time they have to mature, you know, every time a bond matures, they issue a new bond. And that bond, in most cases, will have a much higher interest rate. So the government's interest expense will only rise. So what the government has to do to afford that and it's not just for the government it's for the economy mm -hmm. we are a very highly leveraged economy very dependent on low interest rates higher interest rates are big tax on economic growth so yeah the you know the fed is raising rates right now to try to control the economy to slow the economy but, you know, like we said earlier, the, our economy is a one and a half percent, two percent at best economy and at times well below that. So the Fed in time will have to lower rates to A, help the government control their spending habits and B, help the economy. You can't have interest rates at four or five percent with a true economy running at one to two percent. It doesn't work. 
especially, you know, I can't stress this enough with the amount of leverage in the system and the amount of economic, um, uh, the, the way we, we stress industries that rely on debt, mm-hmm. you know, autos, cars are a much bigger portion of our spending than they used to be. So, you know, again, what we're seeing today, what we've seen for the last few years is an anomaly. The fiscal spending is an anomaly. What the Fed did was beyond belief. And we thought we've seen everything prior to that. And what the Fed is doing now is not sustainable. So we're, we're still kind of living in the, the pandemic anomaly, even though the pandemic may be gone, may not be. Now it's people are wearing masks again, it seems. But the, the, the after effects and the effects of that stimulus and that pandemic and the behavioral changes we've talked about before are big and it's creating some massive distortions. But, you know, going back to our bond uh, discussion, you can't let those distortions you know, ruin your your change your your outlook for the next five ten years because they are distortions. They're not sustainable distortions. So the risk, the risk of government bonds is the cost of paying for those bonds, and that's lower rates. That's lower prosperity for the people. It's a greater wealth divide between the rich and poor. All the things that we saw prior to 2020. Yeah. We'll come back in spades. Well, and see, and I think this is also kind of, you know, really, and some, this is something I'm touching. I'm, I'm actually picking up on your article to touch on a second part next week is about this whole myth of bond vigilantes, right? We've, we've heard about this, and actually bond vigilantes were kind of termed back in 2011 uh, was when one of the first kind of articles on the bond vigilantes returning, um, and this has been an ongoing kind of worry um, in the markets ever since. And, and every year we go through, every time rates take up a little bit, it's like, oh, the bond vigilantes are coming back. And in theory, what they're talking about is, is that at some point, the, the bond buyers simply will just kind of revolt and not buy bonds, right? And this is going to cause interest rates to spike off to the moon. And in a, in a free market environment, that's very true. At some point, you know, think about the corporate bond market or the municipal bond market, at some point, there may be a, a point where companies are so virtually bankrupt that nobody wants to to loan them money, right? So there's the bond vigilantes basically won't loan money, and there's no traction for for bond company for companies to acquire debt. And and this is the thesis that's going to happen, you know, and has has been the thesis now for over a decade. These bond vigilantes are just going to revolt and no longer by U.S. debt, and this is going to cause a massive problem for the economy. However, this belies the one underlying truth that ultimately there is always going to be a buyer for debt, and that'll be be the government. The Federal Reserve, U.S. Treasury will buy the debt. And if you don't think that that can be the case, we've talked about specifically the events that will lead to this, and it's called yield curve control. Japan now owns a very large chunk of their own government bond market in order to suppress yields. So this whole idea, Mike, that bond vigilantes are going to show up and create this massive destruction in the overall bond market is really mostly a myth. Because, again, at some point, if interest rates become an impediment to the economy or create a deep recession or threaten, you know, heaven forbid, threaten the financial, you know, markets itself, you know, the major banks, Wall Street, 
the Federal Reserve is going to step in and start buying bonds hand over fist. And we've already seen them do this through three rounds of four rounds now of quantitative easing. Yeah, I think higher interest rates are just as dangerous to this company as countries like China or Russia or North Korea. It it will destroy high interest rates for a long period of time will destroy the economy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's enough political problems as is enough you know, enough wealth divide, enough problems that the government cannot allow, just like it cannot allow Russia to do what it wants to do or China to do what it wants to do. It will not allow interest rates to stay higher once they meet their inflation goal. And and look, that's why the Fed is so intent on getting inflation down. Jer- Jerome Powell made no bones about it. He said inflation will get to 2% because he knows he has to get inflation down to get in to get inflation down to get interest rates down Mm -hmm. so he's under pressure to a meet his goals of two percent but i'm sure the white house and congress are hounding him every day you've got to get this inflation down Mm -hmm. well and again inflation's one thing right again you know we we talk about inflation and it's like oh inflation's you know up and you know gas prices food prices all this stuff but ultimately, and, and you hit the, and you, you kind of nailed it, which is simply is that yes, getting inflation down is important, but that's also mean getting interest rates down. Getting inflation down without bringing interest rates down doesn't really solve your problem. Yes, I have lower prices, but I still can't finance anything because rates are too high. You have to get them both down at the same time. And again, since they are a function of each other, it's going to happen naturally. Right. So, right. Uh, yeah. last word here before we wrap up the show for this morning. You got it. Um. You know, I mean, we we keep stressing bonds, but I can't tell you how much I think there's a great opportunity if you're willing to look beyond the daily gyrations in bond prices and bond yields for the next weeks or months or whatever it may be. Yeah. Investing is a long term horizon. Uh, Risk free government debt. Factor fiction uh, on the website now. It's Michael's latest article. In the meantime, also, while you're there, uh, make sure and subscribe to our Daily Market Commentary and our newsletter this weekend. We'll talk about the link to oil prices and the economy. So much more to help you out manage your money better. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great week day. Uh, tomorrow, Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso here for Financial Fitness Friday, and have a great weekend.